It's been an interesting week. <clears throat> uh, if you're watching the headlines this week, there were um, some occurrences that were very noteworthy. In Pakistan, 10 uh, World Vision workers were gunned down by Muslim extremists and killed. In Nigeria, um, 200 Christians were hacked to death with machetes in a village targeted because they were Christians. And in Morocco, we had our own adventure with the families that you've, you've just heard of. Last week in our, in our um, prayer time, uh, in the uh, Fresh Encounter prayer time on, on Sunday night, we discussed uh, in a little detail some laws that are being passed or proposed to be agreed upon in our own country that would restrict our freedom to live as we wish and raise our children in, in Christianly as we would wish and to speak the truth freely about what the Bible teaches about certain things. I won't get into those details now, but we talked about those things Sunday night and prayed. You know, if it is time to learn to become a praying church, I think it's now. Amen. I mean, if it's not now, I don't know what it's going to take to get us to be a praying church. And we're in our third uh, Sunday of thinking about that, about what God's um, will is for us and what, what picture does God give us in the scriptures about we as a church praying. And today I'd like to turn your attention to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be focusing on verses 18 to 20. But I'm going to read uh, verses 10 to 20 to give us the context. So on page 1394, if you're using one of our Bibles. <clears throat> but Ephesians chapter 6, it comes at the end of this uh, amazing book of the Bible. And he starts in verse 10, and the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything... To stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. 
Father, we ask in Jesus' name that your Holy Spirit would take your word now and use it in our lives. Open the eyes of our hearts to see your word and um, give us hearts that are receptive to what you would desire to say to us. And we trust you for this. And again, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I see in here six descriptions or in a description of a praying church, six characteristics. So we could say it either way, six characteristics or descriptions of a praying church. And I want us to see those piece by piece. But again, I'm looking, I'm focusing my attention on verses 18 to 20. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf, on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. First characteristic I see here of a praying church is that a praying church understands that life involves demonic opposition. This is something we've talked about this in the past that our our own culture, our, our Western culture is programmed us not to think in this way or when we run into passages in the scripture that speak about the unseen realm and the demonic realm we often don't quite know what to do with that and we like to interpret it in psychological terms or medical terms and yet that's not the way the scripture actually presents it there's a reality of an unseen world here and you see it you see there in verse 18 he says with all prayer and petition pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view and you have to ask the question well with what in view what are you talking about, Paul? Well, it's, it's the context. It goes back. He, he began this section in verse 10. You see verse 10 where he says, Now finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. There's a, there is a personality, a, re, a real personality, a being, sometimes called the devil, who is opposing God's will on this planet. You can't put your hand on him. You can't see him usually, but he's real nonetheless. And then in verse 12, it says, see, our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. Unlike perhaps um, those Muslims who would, who would see flesh and blood as being the enemy. Some, some would, some wouldn't. And so there's a jihad against against people flesh and blood people christians don't see the enemy as being people there's an unseen realm behind people you see there in verse 12 our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers now it's interesting in our western mindset kind of scientific mindset Uh, A lot of people look at verse 12 and try to say, well, those rulers and powers and world forces that are talked about there, those are political or otherwise um, important or influential people. 
there, there are power structures in the society. And, and, um, but it's like, no, you, you forgot the first part of the verse. You, you skipped over. It says, our struggles not against flesh and blood. So whatever our struggle is against, which he's going to mention next, it's not flesh and blood. It's not flesh and blood, but it's rulers. There are, there are rulers in the unseen realm and powers, it says, world forces, spiritual forces of wickedness in the spiritual places and heavenly places. That's our enemy. And when you get down to verse 18, then he says, now with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. A praying church understands that life involves demonic opposition. That's the way actually life is. And it's important for us to understand that. You see, if we, if we believe that, then we pray. Because you can't take a baseball bat and, and clobber a demon upside the head. You can't, you can't do that. You can't punch one. You can't shut the door and keep it out with the door, right? This is a different realm, but it's real. Part of its power is that it's often un, it's unseen, at least in our culture, that's the way they work. Often, but not always. You can't fight this realm with weapons of flesh and blood. And much of our fighting then against the forces of evil it comes down then to prayer. We have to pray. And when we understand that life involves this demonic opposition, we pray more because we have no other recourse. Or those means by which we use then to confront evil, we realize that they're impotent, they're powerless without the prayer that's gone on before. So when we speak and when we act, it's all from a a foundation of prayer. It's not just our speaking and our acting. We must understand this element of life. Have you ever watched little kids that are learning? Of course you have. Remember the little kids that are just starting to walk? I mean, so early that you can't even call them a toddler yet, right? Just that very, very first stages. And, And you remember, well, I'm saying you remember because mine are older, but maybe yours are... That age, they'll get to a step or something and they, they don't realize it's dangerous. Remember, you know that? It doesn't take them long to learn. But there in the beginning, you know, they'll walk right up to a step or the edge of a porch or whatever and they're not afraid. It's because they, they don't understand that you can fall off and get hurt. <laughs> it's dangerous right there. They don't understand and so they just go places that they could really get hurt going there. One reason why we so readily depend as a church upon our expertise or our staff or our programs or our organization is that we don't understand. We don't understand. We don't understand that there's a demonic realm and our expertise and our staff and our plans and programs and organization are only they only accomplish anything if God is in it. And so we don't actually depend on them. We depend on God. And the way we, we exercise that dependency upon God is by praying. Amen? 
We're like the little pre-toddlers walking along the edge of the porch. We don't understand. You got to pray or nothing of substance is going to happen. Second characteristic of a praying church. A praying church has accepted the Bible's emphasis on the importance of prayer. It's interesting that this, this book of Ephesians is, is, um, is an amazing book. Man, it's been several years. Maybe we should preach through it again, huh? It took us two years to get through it, I think, the first time. Um, it's an epistle from the Apostle Paul that was written in a general sense so it could be passed around to, to any church. Unique among the epistles in the, in, the, uh, in the New Testament, almost all the epistles, maybe Hebrews would be a little bit the same. This book was not written to a particular church that, about a particular problem. It was written as a general letter. It went to Ephesus first, but it, was, it wasn't tied to any problem in Ephesus. It was unlike Colossians that was written about a problem in Colossae. This is, this is written in a general sense, and so it's truth that everybody needs. And he works through all these truths. He gets to the end of the book, and he, he talks about this spiritual con- conflict that we're in. And then at the end of that, he talks about prayer. So apart from the greetings that are left at the end of the book, the Apostle Paul has ended it all on prayer. Amen? There's an importance to prayer that is given in this book. Look at verse 18 again. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf. I don't, I don't know how he could have emphasized prayer more in those verses. Watchman Nee was a, Christian of the last century um, in China, Christ, uh, a church leader there. He said this, our prayers lay the track down which God's power can come. Like a mighty locomotive, his power is irresistible, but it cannot reach us without rails. I like that. Our prayers lay the rails down and the locomotive of God's power then comes. My great-grandfather, my great-grandfather, I remember him. He lived to be 95, and I was a little guy. I remember him. He was in charge. He did a lot of different things in his life, but one thing, for a while, he was in charge of the crews in a lumbering organization that they would go into the forest in Arkansas, and they would lay down the rails there was, so they were the first ones into these forests. They would lay the rails down, and then the train could come a little bit farther and a little bit farther, and the operation could go forward. You laid the rails down, and the work could be done. That's what prayer is. We lay the rails down and ask for God's power, for God to come. Then, through our efforts and our energies, through our words when we speak to people, but without the, without the rails being laid down, we're just... Maybe just wasting our time. There's an emphasis on prayer in the scripture. And a praying church accepts the Bible's emphasis on the importance of prayer. Third, third characteristic of a 
pray in church. And this, I pray God gives me the ability to explain this well. A praying church depends upon the Holy Spirit as they pray. Look at verse uh, 18 again. It says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. It's a very interesting phrase. So what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? I want to say, first of all, that um, it does not mean to pray in tongues. It, you, this in our circles, maybe we don't hear a lot about this, but you've probably heard about the gift of tongues and some people's interpretation of, of um, how that ought to be normative for the Christian life. You may have bumped into somebody or heard someone or read something where they say that every Christian should speak in tongues, that that gift that was evident in the book of Acts and spoken of in the epistles, that it should be for everyone. You, you're not actually... You don't have the spirit of God unless you speak in tongues. Listen to 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 30. It says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have gifts of healings, do, not, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? The scripture is clear when it teaches that, that the gift of tongues never was um, the plan of God. It was never that everybody had that gift. And I just mentioned this here, that it's, it's so in case... Something has come your way and said that to pray in the spirit means to pray with the gift of tongues. That's not true. Because in Ephesians 6, it's saying to us all, we should all be praying in the spirit. And 1 Corinthians makes it very clear that not everybody has that no gift. No one gift is for everyone. Amen. So that's very clear. So now let's get back. What does it mean then? What does it mean to pray in the spirit? Well, I was looking in different passages in the scripture about this. And then then I realized that Paul had used this phrase, the phrase in the spirit already in the book of Ephesians. So turn to chapter two and let's see if we can glean something there. And try to hang with me here. I want you to I want you to understand this. Chapter 2, verse 18. This is great. I'm going to read verse 18, then I'm going to go back and get the context. In 18, it says, For through him, meaning through Christ, for through him we both have our access in one spirit. So there it is, in the spirit, in one spirit to the Father. So now it's say, For through him, so through Christ, we both. What does he mean, both? He means Jews and Gentiles, Jews and the people of the nations. In other words, Jews and non-Jews. We both have our access in the spirit, but it's through Christ in the spirit, in the one spirit, we all have access to the father. This is exciting. Now to get the context, 
Go back to verse 13. Let me read it and make some comments. But now, in Christ Jesus, this is a beautiful passage. In Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, that's us, that's the Gentiles, most of us here, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This is, this is great. You see, Jesus Christ, he goes to the cross and sheds his blood there. He dies and offers himself as, as the sin bearer in our place. So that God the Father places on Jesus the penalty and the punishment for sin. But it's not for his own sin. He had none. It's for your sin and mine. Amen? So Jesus, by his blood, in other words, by his death now, it says in 13, by him we can be brought near. We're brought near, it says. And then verse 14, for he himself is our peace. See, it's in Christ that we've been given peace with God. The conflict between us and God is taken away through Jesus Christ and his death. But look, it's also take the conflict between each other is taken away in Christ. Because look what happens. It says, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one. The old conflict between Jew and Gentile doesn't have to be there anymore. It made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile, verse 16, and might reconcile them both in one body to God, through the cross. So what's happened is, is we have Jewish people and non-Jewish people. There's enmity between them and there actually, there's enmity between each of them and God. Jesus Christ comes and suffers on the cross and all those who put their faith in Christ now, what's happening is the spirit of God is taking what Jesus did on the cross and he's putting it down into everybody's life. Amen? So the forgiveness that Christ gained on the cross, I can now experience. But who does that? The Spirit of God. Can I hear at least one amen? Amen. The Spirit of God takes what God, has pla- what God the Father has planned and what God the Son has accomplished on the cross. It's God the Spirit who actually works it into my life, but he works it into my life right along with my brother and my sister, be they Jew or Gentile. The Spirit of God takes us all and puts us all into one body. Amen? One body. The dividing wall is broken down. And then it says in verse 18, it says, so through him, through Christ, we both have, all of us have our access in the spirit to the father. The spirit of God has taken it all, worked it into our life. And we all have access to the father in the spirit because he's put us all in the one body. He's taken us what Christ has done and put it into our life. And now we have access to God together with each other in the spirit. Amen. Amen. 
And so you see in back in chapter 6, verse 18, he's saying, look, pray at all times in the spirit. I asked myself this question. Well, what would it mean to pray not in the spirit? Sometimes you can ask yourself a question. You reverse it and it helps you think about it. Well, what if we're, we're trying to figure out what does it mean to pray in the spirit? Well, what would praying not in the spirit be? I'm getting a confused look from my wife. That means I got to keep talking to make it clear. I love my wife. She keeps me honest here. Listen to this. It would mean trying to approach God apart from trusting in the cross and the spirit of God who joined you to the one who died on that cross. If you try to come to God in prayer without trusting in the, in the cross and what Jesus did there and in the spirit of God who took what he did there and put it into your life, you're, you're praying not in the spirit. Does that make sense? But to pray in the spirit means to go to God in accordance with what the spirit has done in me. He's opened my eyes and enabled me to trust in Christ. He's made me a part of the one body of believers. And he puts into my experience all that God desires for me. And so I pray in the spirit. By praying in the spirit, I go to God trusting in Christ alone. And in the spirit who has taken all that Christ has done and worked it into my life. And he's present in me, the spirit. And so I depend on him who indwells me to energize me and to guide me as I pray. We need to pray in the spirit. And we learn this as we pray. And in a group, we, we learn it together. Sometimes I think we are afraid of this a little bit. Sometimes I think we, we try to get too... Now, you have to take this with a grain of salt, okay? I'll, but sometimes I think we try to write our prayer requests out too detailed, as if we're dictating to God what he, he's going to do exactly. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes I think we just need to get together, like they did in Acts last week, remember? There's a crisis. There's a need. We know what the need is. We refresh our minds with scripture and then we pray. And God, the spirit, then if we're sensitive to him, will lead us in a group as we pray. And we wind up together agreeing about what we're asking. And we pray together. We learn this as we pray. We depend on the Holy Spirit as we pray. And he answers, he leads, he guides, he strengthens. A praying church depends on the Holy Spirit as they pray. Well, fourth, a praying church is saturated with prayer. I didn't know how else to say it, but again, look at verse 18. With all prayer and petition. So we've got all prayer there. He says, pray at all times. So we're praying all the time in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. There's various kinds of praying, various times of praying, various reasons for praying, but always praying. We need to pray. C.H. Spurgeon said, prayer can never be in excess. I like that. How are you going to pray too much? I don't know. Mary Booth from uh, 
the Salvation Army founder, she said this in thinking about all perseverance, that, that, that idea there about persevering in prayer. She said this, depend upon it. If you are bent on prayer, the devil will not leave you alone. He will molest you, tantalize you, block you, and will surely find some hindrances, big or little or both. And we sometimes fail because we are ignorant of his devices. I do not think he minds our praying about things if we leave it at that. What he minds and opposes steadily is the prayer that prays on until it is prayed through, assured of the answer. Amen? Perseverance in prayer you can't persevere in prayer without time and energy. I mean, the very word perseverance. We, we go to God and we go to God together and we go to God together about certain issues and then we just keep going to God. But as we're doing that, we're seeking his will. We're leaning on the spirit. He leads us. We arrive with confidence at what we're asking for. And then we just keep, keep laying down the rails. And God then will bring the power. A praying church is saturated with prayer. I'm excited about the various ways we pray here. We're praying more now than we used to. I really believe that. In our small groups we pray. Ladies Bible study we pray. We're praying in a lot of ways. As I said a couple weeks ago, our, our one time where I'm asking that we all get together to pray our our praying our church-wide prayers are fresh encounters which are roughly once a month and those have been special times where god has has touched us and used us i believe let's keep saturating ourselves with prayer fifthly a praying church brings each other to god in prayer you notice there again in verse 18 at the end for all the saints There's no one in the body. Oh, remember the word saints. The way the scripture uses the word saints is not some special class of people that that got a halo. You know, the saints in the Bible just means the holy one. It just means it's a believer. You're a saint. If you've believed in Jesus Christ, I'm a saint. Ha, that's pretty good. Only God could do that. If you believe in Christ, you're a saint in terms of the Bible language. So there's nobody that you can't pray for. He says, pray for all the saints. But how can we pray for everybody, each of us for everybody? Well, I believe that God burdens you for particular people so that you can pray for them. Amen. And some of you know what I mean. Some of you have woken up in the middle of the night and somebody's been on your mind, right? I can see heads nodding. When you do that, what do you do? You just roll back over and say, gee, that was weird. I wonder why that happened. Had a nightmare. (laughs) No, no. You pray for that person. You pray then until you fall asleep again. Some of you, when you look at the list of missionaries, you think, my, how can I possibly be involved with all of them? Well, maybe you can't. Maybe your bandwidth isn't wide enough. That's all right. Which one of those missionaries gets a special place in your heart which one is the one that god's leading you to then just grab that one and pray for that one amen there there are a lot of places in this world i have a list of of uh people groups in the world that god has placed in my heart that i pray for i try to pray for regularly 
But I don't pray for every country that I've ever heard a presentation about. I don't pray for every people group that I've ever heard about. I I, I don't think I can. And it's subjective, I know, but that's okay. But God has led, I believe, that certain countries, certain missionaries, certain people groups, I pray for. And I just believe that God's led me to do that. And I know that he's leading others to cover the other ground. But it's the same then, let's take it away from countries and people groups and think about individual people. There are people in your families. There are people at work in your neighborhood. Who has God put on your heart? Pray for them. Amen? Pray for them. Pray for them. A praying church, we bring each other to God in prayer. And then lastly... A praying church has an overriding concern for the progress of the gospel. You see this now in verse 19. He says, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You see, Paul here is concerned about the the progress of the gospel, that the proclamation of the gospel will continue, even though he's in chains in jail. He's saying, isn't it interesting too? He's not saying, please pray that I get out. He's saying, please pray that the gospel gets out. Amen? And that it gets out of my mouth, he's saying. Here's the apostle Paul saying, pray for me that I'll have boldness, that I'll speak the way I should. That should encourage you. Do you ever feel intimidated or hesitant to speak up about Christ? Well, you can, you can find great comfort that the Apostle Paul asked for prayer, that he would be as bold as he should be. And if he needed the prayer, I do too. And you do too. Lord, help me to speak. But the overriding concern is the progress of the gospel. And I've noticed that this is a theme. As I've been preparing for these four messages about church-wide prayer, it's something I wasn't expecting. I'm not surprised now that I see it, but I, I didn't see it coming. But in every case that we've looked at, the, the furtherance of the gospel is one of the themes in the passage. And so the places where God speaks about, about church-wide prayer mixed into it, Saturated into it is the furtherance of the gospel. We we have to have a concern that people are saved. Amen. We need to have a concern that the gospel spread. You know, church leaders uh, try to guess at why more people do not come to our churchwide prayer meeting. By the way, we had over 100 last Sunday night. So many of you were there. This is a fantastic time. But we'd like to see more. And so church leaders ask each other and themselves, why is it that that folks don't come? Well, one idea is that they're they're busy. People are just just busy. Uh, Another one is that, well, we need to offer child care. We need to offer programs for the kids. So if the kids have something, the, the parents will come. Some say, well, people are afraid. They're afraid they're not used to praying out loud. And so, so that's kind of intimidating. Or they're just intimidated for one reason or another. Those all may be true. 
But do you know one of the reasons why more people do not come to band together with their fellow believers to pray? It's because we are not overly concerned for the salvation of our friends and our relatives and our work associates and our neighbors. To put it very clear, bluntly, we're just not that concerned about that. Because if we were, we would get together and pray for them. Because there's no way. You see, you and I can't do anything to open the eyes of their heart. Only God does that. Programs don't do it. Preachers don't do it. God does it. We're not only not that concerned about those people's salvation, but we're not overly concerned for the glory that would come to our Lord if more people in the Lehigh Valley and around the world would believe in Jesus. We're just not that concerned about God's glory. And that's why we don't pray. But my friend, we need to repent of that. The places in the Bible that talk about churchwide prayer are saturated with an emphasis on the furtherance of the gospel. Now let's pray. And when we get together to pray, we're going to pray for that. Amen? We're going to pray that, that God does come and visit the Lehigh Valley, perhaps in a way he's never done before, and that he move among the Ndengareko and the Wasi, that he, that he fix things and glorify himself in Morocco, that he work in power around the world, but right here too, that he saves the people I work with and the neighbors that I live amongst. That that is our concern, and it drives us to pray, and it drives us to pray together, because we have no other recourse for his glory and for the salvation of people than to pray and to beseech him for it. And then I'd like to just end with one other observation that Paul, here at the end, he, he talks about himself. He says, pray for me. He says, I'm an ambassador in chains. It's not a good place to be if you're an ambassador. You're supposed to be sent out and running around doing things and speaking to people, but he can't. He's in chains. And there's a concern for him. And Although each of us bears a responsibility to be a witness for Christ, there are some people in the church that God has put a different call on their life and their whole life's to be given over to that. Pastors, evangelists, and those individuals, I believe we have a, 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 a warrant for this in this passage, pray for them. So we pray for ourselves and we pray for those we want to see come to Christ. But we also, we, we pray for those who are set apart for that work. And I would stand here and just say to you, would you play, pray for me? Would you? I know many of you do. And for every pastor on our staff and for any other Christian leader that you, that God lays on your heart. You can't pray for, again, you can't pray for everyone. But pray for your pastors and pray, since I'm the main person that preaches around here more often than others, pray for me that I would speak as I ought to speak and that there I'd speak with the boldness that I ought to speak with and the grace and the love and the clarity and that God and pray 
so that the rails are laid down and that when I preach, God works and saves people. Amen? A praying church understands that life involves demonic opposition. And a praying church has accepted the Bible's emphasis on the priority of prayer. And the praying church depends upon the Holy Spirit as they pray. And a praying church is saturated with prayer and brings each other to God in prayer. And lastly, a praying church has an overriding concern for the progress of the gospel. May God make us into a praying church. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, we thank and praise you for your grace, for your glory. Oh, Lord, we ask your forgiveness for not being concerned for the salvation of those around us and for your glory. For letting the world's concerns and our own concerns and aches and pains and problems just kind of overwhelm and cloud out those things that are really important. Oh, Lord, refresh us, we pray. Forgive us and cleanse us and and make us into people that desire your glory above all else and know that by people being saved, you will be glorified. Father, do it and make us a praying church, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless.